Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. I know you've been standing for a minute. If you don't mind, if you can, stay standing as we... Read God's Word, Luke chapter 11 is the scripture this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning again. Um, I, I know that Donnie read through verse 13. I'm not getting anywhere close to verse 13 this morning. Um, you, you might as well just bank on, we're going to be in these 13 verses for probably a few weeks. Um, there's just so much here. I, I said last week, we're entering into a new section in the Gospel of Luke in that between now and well into chapter 19, we're in the last six months of Jesus' earthly ministry before he goes to the cross. And what Luke focuses on for these next several chapters is Jesus' teaching. I said last week, miracles are going to take a bit of a back seat. Luke doesn't even really bother to tell us where Jesus is, as during these last six months, he's, he's kind of crisscrossing back and forth in the region of Galilee before he goes up to Jerusalem for the last time. And Luke doesn't even give us a location until like chapter 18. What's, what's the point? What's the focus? It's teaching time. It's time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. That's what we talked about last week. And here's the first lesson. Prayer. Now, Luke says that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and that's not new information for us. 
Six times in this gospel thus far, Luke has mentioned Jesus praying. And we've talked about this, but for those of you that maybe haven't been with us, we'll ask the question again, does Jesus need to pray? Some said no, some said yes. Here's what I would tell you I think the Bible teaches. Yes, he did. Why? Because Jesus, the divine Son of God, without ceasing to be God... Amen? He could not cease to be who he was. Without ceasing to be God, he fully took on humanity. That's why we talk about Jesus being fully God and fully man. He's not 50-50. He wasn't 70-30. And here's the other thing. During the days of his incarnation or his earthly ministry, he did not, this is what Paul teaches us in Philippians, he did not depend on his divine essence. He didn't give it up. He didn't set it aside or throw it away, but he didn't depend on his divine essence during the days of his earthly ministry. He lived from his humanity, depending on the Word, on the Spirit, and on his Father. And so when he prayed, he wasn't going through motions. He wasn't just putting on a show. He really needed to pray. He really needed to pray. Which which you might ask, why does that matter? It matters because it talks about just, it tells us just how much Jesus identified with us in our humanity. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't get you. Don't ever think that he can't empathize with what you're going through. Don't ever think that he doesn't, he's totally unfamiliar with what it feels like to feel vulnerable and weak. He knows exactly what that feels like. He felt vulnerability. He felt weakness. He understands pain. He's acquainted with our grief. And we'll talk about this more. He was tempted in every way as we are, the Bible says, right? So when you see Jesus praying, don't think that that's just some sort of like formality that he's going through or a box that he's checking on the heavenly father's to-do list during the three and a half years of his earthly ministry. No, he prayed because he needed to. He prayed because he was depending. That's why the writer of Hebrews says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. So Jesus needed to pray. The unique son of God lived a life that we can identify with He lived that kind of life, dependent on the Word, on the Father, and on the Spirit. And in that dependence, in that dependence, he had a deep, rich, full, authentic prayer life that his disciples took note of. And so they come to him and they ask. Let's read verse 1 again. They've been watching. And they say, Luke says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, we've got to consider this question very, very carefully. What is it that they are asking? Because we have no record in the Gospels of anything that John the Baptist taught his disciples about prayer. There's no record of that whatsoever. We just know that he did, but we don't know what he taught them about prayer. Which says to me, I don't think the disciples are coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, 
Jesus, John had these three or four points on prayer. Can you elaborate on that? Can you give us some more prayer principles? Can you give us some more information about good prayer habits? I don't think that's what they're asking. Here's what I think they're asking. And this is going to raise some big questions. I think what they're asking is this. Jesus, John taught his disciples to pray in a John kind of way. And we would like you to teach us to pray in a Jesus kind of way. I think that's what they're asking, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Put yourself among the disciples. You're following, you're being taught by the one you believe to be the unique son of God, the Messiah of Israel. He's going to be the redeemer, the deliverer. You don't understand fully what all that means, but you at least believe that this guy is, he is God's son. And you see, as you follow him, he keeps sneaking off to the mountains in, in the wee hours of the morning. He's, we, we get done after a day of ministry and feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and fish, and he goes off to pray. You're Peter, James, or John, and he takes you up on the mountain where he's transfigured. Why? Luke tells us he went up on that mountain to pray. I think they're watching. And it makes perfect sense for them to go, Jesus. John taught his disciples how to pray like he does. We want to we know how you pray. We want to learn to pray like you pray. If I'm right, if I'm right, and you're going to get to decide for yourself if I'm right. If I'm right, that means two things are true about this prayer. Number one, Jesus is not giving a formula or a set of words to repeat verbatim. Okay? How do you know that? All you, you got to do is back up to chapter 10. Look at, look at chapter 10, verse 21. Here's how we know that when Jesus prayed, he didn't just recite the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Verse 21 of chapter 10, In that same hour, he, talking about Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There's a one-verse example that proves Jesus didn't just recite the Lord's Prayer over and over again. That's not wrong. Not saying that's wicked. We do that occasionally, don't we? We're going to receive communion next week. We might say the Lord's Prayer together. We do that sometimes. That's okay. But that's not the primary purpose for which Jesus gave this prayer. You with me? Here's the second thing that's true. If, if, if what the disciples are asking is, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like you pray? Number two, it means that Jesus is not giving them a sample prayer that is separate, distinct, and entirely different from the kind of prayers he prays himself. In other words, Jesus is not saying, when they come to him and say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? He's not saying, all right, guys, look, <clears throat> just give it up right now. You can't pray like I pray. It's not possible. All right? You, you, 
I'm the son of God. You, you can't do what I'm doing. Do you need to see my God card? Here's my badge. You can't, you can't pray like I pray, guys. So here's a little, here's a little help. Here's a little sample. <clears throat> here's a little model that you can follow, but you can't pray like I pray. If I'm right, Jesus is not doing that. He's really giving them a prayer that is like the prayers he prays, which raises a huge, huge question. Your eyebrows should be going up. You should be going, all right, Bradley, is this how Jesus prays? Really? I mean, if I'm thinking well about Jesus and the fact that he's fully God, fully man, living from his humanity, not giving up his divine essence, but not depending on it, depending on the spirit and the word and on his father in and from his humanity. If that's true, if I'm thinking well about that, I can imagine Jesus praying, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I I can get on board with Jesus praying, Father, your kingdom come. I can even get on board with Jesus, the divine Son of God, during the days of his incarnation, praying, give us our daily bread. But forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. We know Hebrews says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So I can, I can sort of imagine Jesus praying about temptation. We know he went into the wilderness and was tempted, right? But forgive us our sins? There's no way Jesus prays that. How how is that even possible? That undercuts my whole argument, doesn't it? That Jesus, they they can't be asking, or if they are asking Jesus to teach us to pray like you pray, that that's not the answer he's given. You you with me? Have I thoroughly confused you? Good, let's go to work. Let's take the essence of the prayer, and then we're going to come back to the question, does Jesus pray this way? Sound good? And why that matters. All right, let's take the essence of the prayer. Let's read it again, verses 2 to 4. Jesus, teach us to pray. Maybe like you pray. Verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Again, when Jesus offers this answer, he's not saying to them, pray these words every time. What he's saying is, when you pray, pray like this. Pray in this way. In other words, this is not a formula, but it is a model. What can we learn from the model? Here's the first thing I see. It begins with a focus on God. It begins with a focus on God. First and foremost, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means, may your name, before I get to me, Before I get to what I'm going through, what's pressing on my mind, what I'm struggling with, my gaps, my hurts, my disappointments, 
All the betrayal I've experienced, the sickness in my body, the problems in my marriage, the issues with my kids, the problems with my parents, before I get to any of that, what I want in all of it, over the top, beside and underneath, is your name to be set apart, to be made great, to be seen as great, because you are holy, you are other, you are what nothing else is. And there's nothing more I want. Yeah, I've got, I've got issues. There's nothing more that I want than for your name to be hallowed. And for your kingdom, your rule, the power and righteousness of your rule to be seen, to be manifested. It begins with a focus on God. Does that challenge you? It challenges me. Because... Most of the time, I think you're like me and I'm like you, when I pray, there's this primary urgent focus on me. It's me. We even talk about it like it's my time with where we do what? We spend the majority of our time telling him what's going on in our lives and what he needs to do about it. God, help me, bless me, heal me, keep me, fix me, change this. I need this. I can't stand this anymore, and that's not wicked. It's not wicked. There's an appropriate kind of me praying. I says, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. David prayed that way sometimes. Don't ever think that Jesus is saying that God turns a deaf ear to you when you're just like, God, help me. This is a different approach to prayer, isn't it? It doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. It starts with him. Hallowed be your name. Do you think that might change? If, if we did that, if that is when, when we go to our knees or we, we're driving down the road or we wake up early in the morning or we're by our beds at night and we're going to begin prayer, if what bubbled up out of us before we ever got to anything about us, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, would that change the way you pray about everything else? Would it, would it, would it season in some way how you approach God with what's going on in your life and in your world, and how the broken world has touched your life, would it change things? Well, let's just see what comes right after it. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Verse 3 again. <clears throat> Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone. Everybody say everyone. Boy, that tastes good, doesn't it? Everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Just how much could a beginning focus on God, his glory, his kingdom, his name being honored and hallowed change the way you pray? I think we would find that kind of praying spills over into less and less me prayers 
and more and more us prayers. Did you see that? Give us. Everybody say us. Our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive everyone and lead us not into temptation. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Donnie taught about the lawyer that came to Jesus and asked about who his neighbor was, how he could inherit eternal life, and Jesus said, well, what's in the law? How do you read it? And he quoted what I just read at the child dedication, Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, there is this adoration and devotion and affection and awe and wonder and desire for God that spills over into every other facet of our life, doesn't it? In ways that not the least of which is, the more I love God, the more I love you. The more mindful I am of you, the more apt I am to put the interest of others ahead of my own. So that's why I say a beginning focus on God might spill over into more us praying and less me praying. What if instead of simply praying, God, give me what I need today? That if we prioritized him and his kingdom, that we would maybe start to pray, Father, whatever we need to that end. You see the difference? I think differently about my needs when my highest priority is his glory and his kingdom. Suddenly it's not about how much I can store up, hoard up, and how much more comfortable and, and, and how much more comfortability and ease I can add to my life. Instead, I'm praying not just for myself, but for all of us. Give us what we need in order for through our lives your name to be hallowed and your kingdom to be made known. What if with a focus on God's glory and his kingdom, instead of just praying, <clears throat> forgive me my sins, that's going to happen. I mean, a focus on God, his glory, and his kingdom, is with it's going to come a consciousness of your own shortcomings. But thanks be to God for his mercy, right, and his grace. And when I start to experience that kind of humility with my focus being primarily on him, Suddenly, I don't just see, I don't just think in my praying about all the things that other people have done wrong to me, all the other, all the things in their lives that are broken and need to get fixed so that they treat me the right way. Suddenly I realize I'm an imperfect, broken man myself among imperfect and broken people. So Lord, forgive us as we, in light of that humility that comes from your grace and mercy. Oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive, so how could I not forgive you? And then to pray, lead us not into temptation. It's, it's, it's general and it's broad in this sense. I think the heart of it is certainly it's not less than, Lord, help me overcome tempt specific temptations to sin. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, Lord, keep us from anything 
that would tempt us to take matters into our own hands when it comes to daily provision and justice. You see that? Keep me, because that's, that's where we struggle, isn't it? Where does the majority of egregiences occur between us? It's when people get more focused on what they need and their sense of justice at the expense of hurting others. But when my focus is on him, my prayer is more, Lord, keep all of us from that. Keep us all from that kind of selfish independence that we would actually trust you for justice and daily provision. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, I think he responded with a prayer, a sample, a trajectory that begins with God's name being hallowed and his kingdom coming that spills over into an us kind of praying about provision, about forgiveness, and the temptation to take matters into our own hands. What does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus gives, which brings us back to our question. Did Jesus pray this way? Did Jesus pray this way? Let me be absolutely clear about this. There is no act, word, deed, or thought for which Jesus ever had to repent. He lived a perfect, sinless, completely righteous life, and he never, in any way, though he was tempted as we are, sinned. Amen, you with me? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I heard some, and I'm just going to be blunt, I heard some heretic preacher say that when Jesus hung on the cross, he became a pedophile, he became a murderer, he became a thief. And that's ridiculous and unbiblical. What Paul is saying is that when he died, all our sin was charged to his account. And the wrath of God that we deserved was poured out on him and exhausted so that his righteousness could be charged to our sin-riddled account. Praise be to his name. All right? That's the good news. But is it, po is it possible that Jesus didn't just give his disciples a model prayer for them, that at least the second part of it is unlike how he prays? Is it possible that he prayed, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us our daily bread, and forgive us our sins and lead us as we forgive and lead us not into temptation? Is that possible? Are y'all hanging on the edge of your seat? Good, because i got to hurry. Remember Nehemiah? When Nehemiah comes on the scene, Israel has been in exile for 70 years because of her sin against God. And Jerusalem and the city wall is in ruins. 
And when Nehemiah gets word about it, he weeps. He mourns. And then he prays. Look at his prayer. Go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Man, I'm not even going to get close to where I'd hope to get. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Question, is Nehemiah praying a me prayer or is he praying an us prayer? Here's what's interesting. He's crying out to God for mercy, for the forgiveness of sins of Israel, the vast majority of which were committed before he was ever born. But he's praying an us kind prayer. You with me? I think about Moses. Leads the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. They get up to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain, talk with God. People are at the foot of the mountain. They get antsy because Moses is delayed. So what do they do? You know the story. They build this golden calf. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. And they start to worship it. And while up on the mountain, God says to Moses, go down, Moses. Your people have corrupted themselves. They are stiff-necked. And he literally says this. He says, leave me alone, Moses, that my wrath may burn against them. I'm going to destroy them and start a whole new nation with you. To which if I'd have been Moses, I would have said, sounds good. I don't have to deal with these crazy stiff-necked people anymore. You and me, God, will start a whole new deal. Sign me up. It's not what Moses does. Go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verse 11. But Moses implored implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, Did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his People. Is Moses praying an, a me prayer or an us prayer? And the thing is, he wasn't down at the foot of that mountain dancing around a golden calf. 
But he still prayed, just like Nehemiah, forgive us. Now, it still doesn't answer the question. Because Moses and Nehemiah were sinners. Jesus is not. Is there a way that Jesus could pray that? The sinless one, the pure one. And here's another way to ask the question. Just how deep in the mess is your Lord and Savior with you? Let's go to Isaiah 53. I'll stop here and y'all just going to have to come back because I just... I, I, I'm not even halfway through my notes. Verse 4, Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now skip down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By, the knowledge, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We've already talked about that. That's what it means to be justified. Verse 12, therefore I will divide with him a, por a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered, reckoned counted with the transgressors. He was numbered among the rebels. He was counted among those who, like sheep, have gone astray and turned to their own way. That's all of us. And he was counted among us. Does that blow your mind? It should. Just how far did he come? Came so far that he was counted among you. He didn't sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. That's why he can make many to be accounted righteous. But he was numbered among us. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and watch this, and he makes intercession for who? He makes intercession for the transgressors among whom he's been numbered. Is it possible that this Jesus, you know, he hasn't stopped. Romans 8, I think I have that in here somewhere. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, indeed is interceding for us. What's he doing? If all salvation is, is I get the mercy stamp and I'm good, what's he praying about? 
it possible that Jesus is so with you? He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Present. It's here now. You didn't, you didn't leave him somewhere. You don't leave him somewhere. If you're in Christ, he's with you all the time. And he's praying. He's praying for Andy. He's praying for Tanya. He's praying for Guy. He's praying for Zeke. He's praying for Bradley, for Jonathan. He's praying for Jackie. He's praying, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You do, you accomplish whatever you intend for your good pleasure to put your glory on display. That's more important than anything I could possibly fathom I need or want. I want your name to be, what if he's praying? What if he's praying that when you're so deep in the pain and sorrow that you can't even get words out? What if he's praying that? And what if when you do think about all the gaps and the shortfalls and the disappointments and the, th- and, the, and the ways in which this broken world has touched you and maybe almost feels like it's crushing you? What if he's praying? Give us, not them, give us daily bread. And forgive us. That, I, I struggle to even get that out of my mouth because it feels, oh, it seems like I don't have a category for that. But I think if Jesus is answering a, a genuine dequ- a question from his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. That there is a way in which the sinless one, without ceasing to be God in any way, like Moses, Moses was a type of Christ, intercedes for and with his people that God's mercy be poured out on those that he's called to himself. And I didn't even get to lead us not to temptation. That's good too. I don't even know how to end it. I mean, if, if the Lord is challenging me personally on anything right now at the beginning of 22, it's that I'm an amateur when it comes to praying. I'm just, I think there's so much more to enjoy and experience in communion and fellowship and conversation with the living God. And we've only scratched the surface in our consideration of just how with, with us is this Jesus. Because we, we make our list and we get our, our gripes and complaints and our gaps. And I'm not saying, I'm not trivializing those things. I know they're big and they're heavy and they're weighty. But we get all those things together and we pile them up in a big laundry basket of prayer and we dump them at Jesus' feet and say, fix 
Yes. I want them clean, pressed, iron folded, and in my drawer. And I wonder if those disciples didn't see something in the way that Jesus prayed that was different. A God-focused prayer that spilled over into an us kind of praying. I challenge you to consider what might be different in your marriage, what might be different in your family, what might be different in your career, what might be different with your neighbor, what might be different with your parents and your friends and your extended family, what might be different in our church if we started to pray this way. Lord, I, um, I don't know. I'm just having to trust that I got as far as you needed me to today. So much, so much here. It's not that I have so much to say, it's just that there's so much here. And, and I think we've barely even touched this. I feel like I'm opening a treasure box that I've only looked at and admired on the shelf, and now I want to dig into every little nook and cranny in this, this response that you give. And so Today, I ask that maybe you would change the way we think about prayer, that, that even if we're, how we're leaving today is with more questions and answers, we would leave here and say, God, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray like you pray? May our prayers, may our prayers Laud the hallowing of your name and the coming of your kingdom. And in our praying, may there be less of me and more of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us.